This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The new studio is now open in Hamilton, and if you're interested in getting any tattoo work done or discussing any designs, please contact the chief artist, Brian Bell. You can find Hold True Tattoo Studios on Instagram and on Facebook, so if you're at all interested, please check them out. Is that good? That's perfect. Brilliant, Mark. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today. Okay. Really appreciate you sort of taking the time out of your day to, to come on. How's things? Yeah, pretty good. Just uh, I'm lucky I'm still active, especially with MMA, because I've got, uh, got guys on uh, Cage Warriors. It's okay. the only MMA event in this country. Yep. Yep. It's been very difficult with the, the lockdown and stuff just for all martial arts schools throughout, not just the yeah. UK, but throughout the world, but you're still managing to, to stay active then? Yeah, well, I've got a small team, um, roughly about a group of 10, really, but um, uh, each one's allocated for specific days. Okay. So we don't have more than about five or six, and they've got to make sure they shower before, shower after, they get sprayed down, so in case anything's on their clothing, yep. gels, you know, we're following all the strict routines, because the um, amount of times we've been on the show and people's been sent home. And wow. uh, anybody in the team, not just a fighter, but their corner, if one of them's got it, they will go. Yep, yep. Which has been... It's quite You've got to look after everybody. I understand that. It's just so difficult for everyone, if, especially in fighting and combat sports, to follow such strict uh, protocols with so much contact yeah. with everybody. Anyway, uh, listen, as I say, thank you so much for coming on. There's, there's so many different things that I, I want to chat with you uh, about today. We, we have Taekwondo in common. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said yep. you said he was there at the World Championships or something, wasn't it? Yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, when hopefully we, we, we can get to that. As I say, when I was uh, making some notes for today, I kind of broke it down into two sections to talk about uh, mixed martial arts with you. And then hopefully yeah. we can sort of double back on ourselves and have a wee chat about your, your experiences in Taekwondo, which I'm still a, a huge part of uh, myself just now. So. Yeah. Hopefully, if we can cover both those areas, areas that would be fantastic. Uh, right, so I think probably the, the first place to start with you, and I, I, I noted a date down, which was the 13th of July, 2002, and yeah. Mark Beer makes his UFC... <laughs> yeah, made <laughs> a statement. Listen, uh, yeah, what, what a statement. I want to talk to you about just... We, we can obviously talk about that first fight that you had, all 10 seconds of it and just what the, what that meant at the time. But uh, what I'd really love to explore with you and, and having the opportunity to talk to you today is just what the full uh, UFC experience was like for you. Uh, okay. And obviously we can branch off to your other mixed martial arts experiences too. Yeah, that's fine. So how, how did you get invited in the first place? That's probably a good place to start. How does, how does one get the call for the UFC and then we can take it to there? Well, first of all, it was um, in those days, you could fight in the UFC, you could fight in other events, and um, they weren't really interested in any, um, any Brits uh, competing in, uh, in the UFC because they think they weren't ready, weren't the level that we meant to be. Uh, Ian Freeman was the first one to try out, yep. and um, he, he got beat on his first uh, uh, appearance on the UFC. And uh, because of 
two guys, literally. Um, CJ Fernandez, they did a Natural Born Fighters. It was an event on Channel 5 over in the UK. And uh, he came from the UFC and he's meant to be fighting me. Literally just won. Come over to fight me. And uh, I beat him in, a, I think it was the first round. Yeah. And um, so all of a sudden, he's off the UFC roster. Then they sent another fighter. Originally went to be a guy called Matt Hughes. He's one of the greatest welterweights ever. Yeah. And yep. because his, uh, it, went too, it was too expensive to get him across, they went for his stable mate, his training partner, Ben Earwood, who literally just won in the UFC as well. And uh, they sent him over to fight me. And I beat him yep. as well. I think that was the second round. Very, very good takedowns and everything else. And then um, uh, then I basically had a phone call. Uh, I think it was Dana. And he was asking about coming over to UFC. And I said, oh, I've got a shoulder injury from the takedowns. And, he, and, he, and then he left me hanging for a few months. And I kept saying, guys, look, what's happening? Otherwise, I'm going to carry on fighting. Yeah. I said, wait, 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 wait. And in the end, they had to let me know that they're coming to the UK. So um, that was the main thing. It's like, uh, whether I uh, enticed it, I don't know. Yeah. I also beat a guy called Shannon Rich, who was in Pride event that time. Uh-huh. But uh, either way, when everybody's coming against me back then, uh, I seem to making it look uh, pretty easy. <laughs> you know, quick fights. So let, let's jump ahead then to the fight because uh, I don't know how much... I don't know how much conversation we can have over a, a 10 second fight. It was it was 10 seconds, wasn't it? I've actually got your record here in front of me. Uh, so I'm guessing at this stage it was the biggest opportunity of your career. Would you would you say that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Mate, mate, I the the biggest sport in the eighties was Taekwondo outright. And yeah. it was like thousands upon thousands of people. That was amazing. The only downside is it's in Taekwondo. And when you win in that, the martial art world knows you, the magazines, but that's it. Yeah. With this one, UFC, it was my mum, my sister. <laughs> there's, there's family members in America, family members in Canada. They all was watching it. And uh, the difference was it's live as well it's as I'm doing it. So that was the difference pressure. This was going to be um, the next level up. Yeah. Okay. So... You get into the octagon and 10 seconds later, the fight's finished. What do you remember back to, 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 to that night? Because I don't know whether people remember uh, sort of full-scale five-round and three-round wars more or whether they would remember something that you just went in, very quick knockout, no injuries, you didn't get hurt, it was all finished. So... Tell us what you can about a 10-second fight. Okay, yeah. What I remember leading up to it, there's a guy who does a, he's a main, um, he does a, for Australia, does a commentator and stuff like that, and you know, covers the UFC, uh, Elvis Sinisek. Yep. And they had him, because he's very good in front of the camera. And they had me being a front man for the UK, because we had a lot of bad press. We had BBC, Central. Uh, so what I was doing, which is, uh, a lot of them said, Mark, they're, that's sort of messing you around because you're supposed to be training or getting ready. And I found I had a lot of interviews. And the reason why they put me at the front, because they couldn't, although I've had fighting history, I was a, a downgrade in Taekwondo, mm-hmm. a black belt. Um, I was a skilled engineer. Uh, everything they tried to make me out to be a thug, they kept trying to ask me, do I want to kill this person? Do I want, you know, a lot of the bad press stuff. I knew what they're trying to do. But I was trying to explain, no, I'm a skilled engineer. Uh, I'm qualified. I went to college. Um, I, you know, I've got family. Uh, I was trying to explain to them, I'm just a guy who just loves 
combat sport and I just want to be tested on a, the biggest and the greatest level possible yeah. where it's not about all, no, nothing, you know, on the whole, no whole bars. It's about the uh, possibility of kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, grappling. It's all the best art put together. Yeah. And I said, it's none of this headbutting, groin striking. It's clean. And then um, in the end, uh, they gave up and he started to sort of recognize it was more of a sport. And I said, I got, when they tried to corner me for be about the killing side, I said, no, I got bad intentions, but I wouldn't want to kill the guy. Yep, you know what I mean, I don't want to have someone, I wouldn't want to hurt him long term. I want to, I wouldn't mind knocking him out, but long term damage, I'm not looking for. So I was trying to explain to them, I'm a martial artist. It's only a test of myself I'm looking, not, not whether, you know, how hard I can, how much damage I can give him, it's yeah. whether I can take him out specifically. And that was it. Yeah. So that's why I remember mainly he's, uh, being pushed around, uh, look, you know, this interview, that interview, and fighting off the press, trying to make out the sport shouldn't go anywhere, shouldn't be on the television, it's you and cop fighting, they kept calling it. Yeah. But, wow, look at it now. <laughs> I had, uh, I'm glassing, you've just took the words out of my mouth there, uh, Mark. Uh, look at it now. I had I recently had Rosie Sexton, who you'll know, uh, yeah. on the podcast, who, like yourself, was a, a British pioneer of, of MMA. And that was one of the things I was talking to her about, was just how it was perceived back then and yeah. what it's turned into now. I mean... The UFC was sold for $4 billion uh, yeah. not, not that long ago. And just not long before you made your UFC debut, people were struggling to find venues to actually host these fights. Yeah. So you've obviously had experience from er the, some of the early days all the way through to, to now. How have you seen the sport develop from this sort of human cockfighting that's... It's, we shouldn't be allowing this to, to something that's so mainstream now. How have you how have you seen that progress through the years? Well, what I found is like uh, original no hold bars, Valley to Do, that got uh, uh, banned anyway. I got invited to one of the shows in uh, Brazil. I never took it. Uh, I, I am a martial artist, and I, I'm not going to put myself at my house at risk. Even if you uh, win one of these fights, you you know you got people stomping on your heads and stuff like that, and. You know, some real dirty stuff. The Brazilians don't mess around anyway over there. So um, I sort of steered away from there. One of my um, uh, training partners, uh, one of the uh, guys that was part of his team, was uh, Chuck Liddell. Um, he actually went across to Brazil. We would have met first then. But um, we sort of like hit it off on the, after the first UFC 38. And um, uh, we sort of like got together. I was talking to him. because I, I, I liked the way he wouldn't turn down anybody. I had the same sort of mindset, you know, like challenges. Because I came from when we were allowed to fight any weight division as well. So I, a lot of my fight, early fights were 90, 100 kilogram guys. So um, as they started to go more to my own weight, that's where I started to have quicker fights where my fights weren't really lasting more than a minute or anything. Yeah. Uh, as the techniques got better, then my fights got longer. And then also my age, I was getting older. Mm -hmm. But um, what I found is uh, I was lucky to be graced with um, Chuck Liddell, went over, uh, formed a team with him. Um, he originally didn't have a team. And then uh, when I tried training with him, uh, after the first time and the second time he had Glover appear then he had one after another and his team started to grow yeah. and then um, I was with him with the Tito fight and then just after that he won a title and uh, it was amazing uh, Randy could talk so I was there with him for the, the second fight with Randy Randy beat him the first time round yeah. Quinton Jackson that's when he had a knee injury I went over that beginning of that year and uh, I remember sitting there and all he kept talking about in a car is how he wouldn't mind fighting Tito he knows he's better Tito doesn't really want to fight him and 
how he believes he's, he's going to be the next big champion. He had all these beliefs coming out and I would listen to him. And uh, I, I could feel like he's feeling like it could pass him by if he doesn't step up now. And he had his chance and believe it or not, he became one of the greatest like, ever eight champions uh, you know, of our times. Yeah. And then also his face, well, obviously Stefan, um, Stefan and um, Stefan Bonner and uh, uh, what was the champion's name? Uh, uh, they had that uh, ultimate yeah. fighter. Yeah. yeah, on that is when UFC turned himself around. They're just about to go bust. And, um, Forrest and I remember, again, Forrest Griffin. Yeah, Forrest Griffin. Yeah. I should use that. I don't know anybody. Uh, I know. Name. <laughs> but okay, anyway, but with the pressure of everybody watching, anyway, uh, <laughs> listen to me. But um, what we had, we had that, and on that, it turned the tables. They had so many people running to their screens watching it. Uh, you know, these two guys, uh, you got to thank them really. They're making a sport of bounce back, and then all of a sudden, everybody's interested in this this uh, this sport where two guys and the way they hugged each other after sportsmanship, and uh, it changed around. And all of a sudden, every single show was making like say ten thousand, next one twenty thousand, next one, 30, and it just went up and up and up. And then uh, that was it. Chuck Liddell, I remember the people who he's uh, rubbed shoulders with. Uh, it was unreal because I, I was like a little chaperone. And this guy was just getting bigger and bigger. And the celebrities, some of the, the, the celebrities have seen him trying to get in contact with him. And I, I was just thinking, wow, I was in awe of it. And I, I, I was coming back to England where it was nothing. And I was thinking, imagine when it's like that over here. And it, it, it's, it's finally getting there now. You know what I mean? But it's, it was such amazing. It'd be, I was with the right person. I was with the guy, you know, like he was McGregor of the, those times, outright. Sure. And, um, you know, all the... All the celebrities, actors, they all want a piece of him. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Uh, that that was something that I didn't actually know about your 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 uh, your journey through mixed martial arts was just how how close you were with Chuck Liddell because he's one of the people. He's in fact he is the person that Dana White talks about most. That really after the the Rich Franklin Stephen Bonner fight, which kind of yeah, yeah. Like he said opened things up. Yeah, Chuck Liddell was really the first major, huge, famous champion. Uh, that's so interesting to hear that you were so you were so closely tied with him because he, he really did make the difference in, 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 in opening, opening things up. Uh, how do you think that it's progressed now with, I'll give you an example, like the, the Reebok deal, for example. When I first started watching MMA, it was round about the time that you were competing and when Chuck Liddell was the champion. And I remember the Randy Couture fight. And that was like the, the Wild West days. And it seemed to get more, more regimented and, and, and clean cut. And then the, the, the Reebok deal came in and all the athletes were competing in the same uh, sort of gear, I guess. Which one was better to your mind? Have we moved... Have we taken away some of the character by making it so regimented now? Or was it better in the old days? Or what do you think about that? Uh, well, personally, um, I, I study. I, I was a, a fan of boxing. I knew how boxing grew. Now, um, you you know, you, the, the question is, okay, when you got, like, um, I remember Chuck having head blades and all these different sponsors. Okay, say one fighter gets um, Reebok. Another fighter gets uh, Puma. Another fighter gets Nike. The one who got some Nike, uh, this guy goes on, is very good face, very good at talking in front of the cameras. Um, he builds, he builds, he builds, and uh, keeps everything. He doesn't get in trouble. 
and Nike is so grateful for the amount of money he's returning back to the sport, you know, from his sport. Then they will sponsor someone else. And then you might find Puma will compete by trying to win someone else over them. And then you've got the big sports people competing with them. Then you might have someone who's a drinks, energy drinks, competing with the other energy drinks. And it's like their competition makes more money in the sport. Now, would it be the same? You've got one company, Reebok, having everybody and no one can dictate to them who gets what. They pick what each person gets. There's no competition. Competition, okay, is a good thing. In a gym, two guys training. They com keep competing to say who's the best out of me and you, who's learning the best technique, who can outsmart each other. Competition in a gym is good within reason because it makes a person excel. Now, if you've got no competition, you don't excel. So what they've done, they've not allowed sponsorship to excel. They will only go depending on what UFC will bring in, which great that uh, Adesanya's now got Puma and he looks good on that, but they need others. They need competition to the point where they're all trying to make bigger deals, better deals, and they draw fighters towards them. They sort of slow down the sport to me. Maybe they might argue with me and say, no, Mark, and might give me a reason, but I can't see anything good with that. Having individual sponsors um, and then making them see that it was worthwhile makes them want to sponsor more in that sport. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think, I definitely think the sport, in fact, it's beyond doubt now that the sport has prog has progressed on on the physical sense of things. I think yeah. we're in, a, we're in a, an era now where you have mixed martial artists. Now, you started as a traditional martial artist who then developed into mixed martial arts, but you've got young, uh, young fighters now just starting as a mixed martial artist. I, I sometimes watch the old videos and I can see the differences more. And maybe I'm just being more romantic. I don't know, or rose-tinted glasses, but I, I, I love the, the Taekwondo versus the Judo guy or the BB, uh, BBG guy versus the Karate guy. That was romantic to me. I, I love the idea of that. But the sports progress now where you don't have that. It's just mixed martial artists versus mixed martial artists. Uh, how, 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 how have you seen that change as someone who's running a full-time gym and more people getting involved? Well, what's, what's happening now, depending on the individual coach, uh, how this works, um, you think about um, the, the first person ever I've seen ever do anything like this was Bruce Lee. This Enter the Dragon in the early 70s, he, he did a thing where uh, he had MMA gloves on, sure, I don't know why, because MMA didn't exist then. Uh, yeah. He seems like he was in a time machine. But anyway, he did all the things with kicking, punching, takedown and submission with an armbar. And um, what happened, this guy preached about uh, no way as a way. He went from one start to another. His foundation was, yeah, Wing Chun. And from his foundation, he added, he took away what he found was inessential and put the essentials of stand-up in there, long-range kicking, grappling, in-close trapping, everything. And when you look at people like the great, like, GSP, uh, George St. Pierre, you know, they, they did the same. And uh, af uh, athletes and acrobats now, the amount of fighters on the UFC that does somersaults and stuff, yeah. but not, you know, not be funny. It does make you, if you grew up in my era, what the hell was Bruce Lee on? Because he, it's as if he had everything down to a coin. The somersaults, the ability of different styles, picking up different wear. But the, the guy was like the modern day fighter. He's only now we're realizing that. And uh, you see Dana White 
you know, advertising Bruce Lee t-shirts and, you know, he, you know, what we've got to realize is that I come back in the day, it was foundation based and everybody wants to say, Jujutsu, Jujutsu, and everybody wants to find, yeah, you know, you know, kickbox. They want to have their style, but this is very um, outdated. Now, the reason why I, I, I'm a, a fan of, I love, I, I, know, I love my background kickboxing, taekwondo. You gotta remember, I did taekwondo, went on to kickboxing, full contact, and I was champion of that right up to 45. Uh, only ever lost one fight. That's right at the end. Uh, MMA wise, I finished on a high on that one. Although I lost a couple, it's MMA anyway. But um, I finished on a high on that one. But um, the way I see it, you've got coaches like Matt Sarah. You've got to name all the greats in their, in their discipline. They're now teaching people from scratch for MMA. Yeah. When they come in, these people are no longer jujitsu based no longer kickboxing-based or uh, taekwondo-based. They're, like me, taekwondo with ability to grapple, to wrestle. And when someone comes into me, I show them the basics. And I start to see where their strengths are. If someone's very good at shooting in and grabbing someone's leg, I show them how to take someone down properly and what to do to control them. If someone comes in and got a natural long reach, jabbing, can throw a good few kicks, I teach them how to keep someone back. And then if someone comes in poorly with their head exposed, I show them how to throw a guillotine. Yeah. But I tell them to keep it standing. So they start from their strengths. Now, this is how I believe all coaches should go. Works on their strengths. And then small little nuggets of the weaknesses, you know, only areas to keep themselves safe. And yeah. then as they grow and mature, they learn more and more and more of the, where the, the weakest area is. But then you might get the odd one, which is complete, where they're strong at all areas. And that, that's one of the best ones you can get in a gym. Yeah. Uh, again, as I say, I've, I've got your, your record here in front of me, just your mixed martial arts record anyway. And you did, you fight, you, you fought a lot in the UK, but... I've got uh, Miami, I've got Vegas, lots of different places around the world that your fight career took you to. Uh, what was it like fighting or having to travel abroad and then prepare there and then fight abroad? What was that like? It was good. A lot of my record, um, I think they got most of the abroad, but one of the, a lot of the ones in the UK, they're not actually on there. Um, reason why, uh, they were like with big gloves on, with small gloves on. Yeah. And it wasn't really recognised. There was no system of recording. Yeah. As they start to record, uh, then it changed. Because remember, in the early days, uh, the, I think they first had, it was pro only. And then they had this uh, semi-pro. And then they had amateurs that recently, re recently kicked in, which I love amateurs. Amateurs yeah. just like a pro fight, but no elbows. And I, yeah. I, I like that. Um, but, you know, being a pioneer, you miss the money, you miss the bonuses, <laughs> you miss a lot of the, the yeah. changes. But traveling abroad, um, it was very, very good. Because if you remember my background, I traveled from, from when I was 20 years old, yeah. you know, from the word go. I was lucky with, you know, uh, well, with my stand up career, kickboxing and tie boxing, you know, um, uh, taekwondo, sorry. Uh, I traveled from the world all over the place, all over the, the country, and I was meeting different martial artists. And I always had an interest in martial arts on a whole because as soon as I got to about 21, I was working door security. So I wanted to know how to really fight, how to really keep people at, at bay. And every time I had a conversation with someone, I always think to myself, how can I make that better? How can I make that quicker? And a um, uh, funny story is when someone handy came to the door, it was, I used to stay inside where it's warm and they said, get Mark Weir to the front. So they used to get me to the front door only when it's someone really handy. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like a myth, sounds like a weird story, but one of the guys trained with me 
all the guys from my, my camp, they heard the stories because the guys used to work doors with me actually train and they tell these stories about that. And so that I believed helped me to transition from my traditional days to my martial arts MMA days. But traveling was a thing I've done all my life. The only thing that was different was one time, uh, WEC, um, UFC bought that event in the end, got all the champions from there. But I did a WEC and um, it was a title, uh, which a lot of people didn't realize I had a title in WEC. Yeah. And um, when I went over there, it was outdoors in an open and I thought, wow. Yeah. And you know, you can hear the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, uh, it's just so weird. You're walking out and the people around are really loud over there. And uh, um, uh, that that was a bit surreal. I remember feeling a bit of nerves, unusual nerves, because being nervous is unusual. It was usual to me. Yeah, I've been on the stage, you know, world stage, loads of times. But it was a different feeling. So it made me. I think it made it threw me for a little bit. But uh, after that, it was uh, it's pretty good. One of the uh, one of the things that I, I always find really interesting, and I used to be a, a, a huge fan of Pride as well which yeah. you fought in as well. Uh, your career's been so inclusive and varied, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, the, was the Japanese audience, what was it like fighting in, in, in Japan? I, I believe from what I think I know and what I've seen, uh, they're obviously a very uh, intelligent audience, but a very quiet audience and were very respectful in their applause and, and no sort of screaming and, and, and stuff. What was it like fighting in Japan? Uh, Japan is, uh, uh, I re that's one of my favourite places I, I went to. Um, well, I remember going there. Uh, it was kind of strange because we were journeying to where we go in on a train and you pass like a town and uh, they're very in suits and stuff. Then you go past another place and they all got jeans and denims. And uh, the other thing that's really strange, <laughs> I remember walking through town because we wanted to look around and I wanted to get a few of these Godzilla toys for my kid. <laughs> Back right. then, and like uh, they got shoes outside in a box in pairs. I was thinking, if that was in England, they'd be gone. <laughs> they'd be grabbed, and yeah. you know, they'd be running off of yeah. them. But they got so much respect over yeah. there. They don't do that. That's like a degrading. Yeah, of course. And the biggest thing I remember uh, one time we had to go somewhere. I can't remember what it was. Whether it's a meeting or get together for some reason. I can't remember. We we're leaving the, the venue or going to see the venue to have a, maybe a, a talk. And there was a fan and he's waiting for me and he goes, oh, you know, my weird, you know, signature and, you know, photograph. And I goes, I can't, I, I really got to go. I goes, uh, if we, later on, I'll be back in about an hour or two. When I come back, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a picture and a photo. So I went to the venue, uh, did what we meant to do. Um, and he came back. The guy was still waiting. Wow. Yep. And he was so honoured when I was doing, he's so happy. He's a smoker. So over there, they're so into the sport. It's like, it's unreal. Like England is equivalent to like a footballer. And it's yeah. like uh, to meet one of your stars is like a major time. I, you know, to do that, and I couldn't believe the guy waited. Uh, it's like, I was in so much respect. I, I, you know, autographed, took a photo with him. You know, I was just so taken back by it. And uh, yeah. that's, the, that's the sort of people that they are over there. Uh, martial arts and combat's been in their, their livelihood from day one for centuries. They're very honourable. Yeah. Uh, one of the things... One of the things uh, that starting up the podcast has done for me is, well, one of the most obvious things is it's, it's given me access to people like yourself who have all of this knowledge and who are willing to, to come on and share. So I'll go back and I'll say thank you again for doing that. The yeah. reason why I mention it in such a way is, is because 
the next two questions that I've got in my head are, are questions really that I want to have some fun with uh, on a personal note, and hopefully the audience will enjoy as well. One of them came into my head uh, this morning, actually, when I realised that yesterday uh, was International Women's Day, and Amanda Nunes fought at the weekend again, and I think everybody can now agree that there hasn't been a female fighter like that. Uh, can we have a wee chat about just how far women's combat sport has come and just what an unbelievable level it's at now when you look at somebody like Amanda Nunes just, I mean, on Saturday night, she just made that look easy. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to Megan Anderson because I'm not being disrespectful, but she made it look easy and she's such a phenomenal talent. Well, you've got to relate to, like I said, I follow sports very deeply from the world from when I was a young kid. And I know what makes sports grow. Um, besides when boxing, uh, it, it is about gambling and stuff like that, the attention, that side. But uh, beyond that now, Mike Tyson, what was his draw? His ability of not knowing how long the person is going to let, let us stay with him before they get knocked out. Yeah. Now, what made Chuck Liddell, uh, like I said, I was lucky to be around and, you know, with him and associated with him. Even now, to my guys, I take over there as a trip two years ago before the uh, lockdown and uh, as a treat. You know, he met up, met up with us and uh, took him around and gave him dinner. They were taken back by it. This is how, how down to earth this guy is. Yep. You know, he hasn't seen me for about a year and he's always putting himself out. You know, he's got time for me. Now, his, what made him great is that he knocked people out. Yeah. Exactly. You, you can submit people. You can have long, hard fights. You can do different ways of winning, but you can't be the knockout specialist. Now, with this, Amanda Nunes is like, a, she can knock you out, but she can submit you fast yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you mess up. Yeah. She can, but whether it's stand up ground, whatever, she finished you. She can finish, she finds holes and she seems to capitalize on it and don't waste time. Don't, it doesn't wait for overtime. Yeah. And uh, she's got a bigger draw as Conor McGregor with a knockout, Chuck Liddell, all the great fighters in the past. To me, she could take women's. Like Ronda Rousey, I I, I did um, a, a chat with um, Sky, uh, it's on YouTube, this is uh, about this fight. And I was thinking, this woman could take women's martial arts to the next level. When Ronda Rousey was around, I had a few women starting to join me now, inquiring, mm -hmm. I had more women. This could actually open up floodgates mm -hmm. with more people be recognized as a martial artist and not be funny, she can probably beat some of the blokes. Yeah, oh, <laughs> so, I, I wouldn't bet against her. I wouldn't bet, I wouldn't bet against I her. I wouldn't want it, especially I wouldn't want to be bloke being beaten. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's like uh, I'm saying, she's so entertaining. Uh, I just hope she keeps winning for the next year or two. Uh, the attraction, the attention, UFC, MMA, and especially women will have will be phenomenal, uh, unbelievable, phenomenal, I think. Yeah, it's following a very similar path to what we mentioned earlier on about uh, this thing that nobody nobody sort of wanted or, or nobody thought they wanted. These two guys get into a cage and and try, as you said yourself, are you going to try and kill this guy? And it wasn't that long ago that Dana White, who you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, was saying women will never, ever, ever fight in the UFC. Now... It's 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 taken off exactly the same way as the men did twenty years ago, uh, and as you say, with somebody like Ronda Rousey being there, and then 
being superseded, to be perfectly honest, and again, not disrespectful towards Ronda Rousey, but someone like uh, Amanda Nunes, just what what an unbelievable uh, talent. So that was the first point. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that answer went the way it did, because this is going to lead into the next question, which hopefully we can have uh, some fun okay. with. I want to put you on the spot here. And now you might know straight off the bat, who would you say were the, the five greatest of all time? Because with uh, Habib moving to sort of number one in the UFC rankings, there was a lot of discussion about that. And then obviously there's many, many names. Chuck Liddell as well would have been in there, uh, I believe, at one stage. Who were, who do you believe are the five greatest of all time? And right. that played you, males be and careful because uh, I might forget someone. But um, I always say Chuck because he saved the face of the UFC and made it grow to where it is now. Okay. Um, are these in order? Now, sorry? Are these in order? Are you putting uh, I tried to, but I, I, <laughs> it was really hard to do it. Okay. Um, because I can tell you why it's awkward. Because uh, I would like, you know, I watched people like Anderson Silva, which was unbelievable. And I had the pleasure of meeting a guy who we were lined up to fight in cage, cage rage, but wow. it never came off in the end. It gave him to Lee Murray, another fighter. Um, he was also behind the biggest heist ever in Gosling in England. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, yeah, it went to him instead. But that would be a nice experience for me. But uh, Anderson Silva outright. Uh, Ronda Rousey, because she was the first woman to do what she did. So I'm on three now. Okay. And because of this, uh, I'm going to say it has to be 100%. Uh, um, I was going to say GSP is not that the reason why there's Conor McGregor because he had two titles and he's the first to set the bar on this and the other reason because the amount of money he got himself to be earning to show that there is potential of making you know mad money like they do in boxing uh, I'm on number four now Yeah, and this is, this is hard now You've got one because score. my fifth, fifth one because like you said I would pick individuals. I've got individuals, which is great. Uh, I put uh, Anderson Silver in there anyway because I just think it was just what he did and the length of time he kept going. Uh, although they might say GSP because he came back, but I would say no because double title is better than a, a single. Yep. I have to definitely go for Amanda Nunes now okay. because of what she's done. And she's defended it on each one. <laughs> she's yep. setting a new standard because... There's, you know, there's DC, Danny Comrie, there's a couple others, but, you know, John Jones, he's the all, oh, there's too many I could be, but if you say five, those would definitely be my five, if I remember rightly. Chuck Liddell, okay, because yeah. of the, the, he started it. Yeah. Uh, I'd definitely say uh, Ronda Rousey because what she yeah. did as well. Uh, Anderson Silver because of longevity and the style and whatever. And a lot of people, you see role modeling him. Then I'd definitely, um, who did I just miss out? Uh, I said a man of Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is you that everyone McGregor? Conor McGregor, yeah. That's the five. Okay. Well, so, I don't think you can really, you can juggle with all of them, but I think, you know, and it, people might hate me, but I, I justify because of double titles. People, when, when you, I don't think people will hate you, but I, I guarantee you they'll be screaming at the screen, the screen or the radio or whatever, or not the radio, the, the, the podcast, the, the audio version, they'll be screaming over that list. That's, I think what you've done there is it looks as if you've taken uh, 
You've taken them for individual or, or individual achievements. They've all done something special that maybe... Yeah, was, done so before. two of them, well, basically they were the pioneers. And McGregor is definitely there because he's a pioneer of the double title and the money he accumulated and a draw. And then the last lot is because what they've achieved in it. Like Anderson Silva didn't do it in both ways, but he went up to light heavyweight, won, yeah, and then come yeah, back yeah. down. And he was doing both, but he, and he beat the former title holder. And yeah. then he, he came back down. So, he, you know, he set standards, which is unreal. But if it was, I reckon, technically, he won double titles without even doing it. Yeah. So, but just... Forrest Griffin, Forrest Griffin literally just lost, and then he went up and beat him. Yeah. <laughs> now... Just before we move on, I'm just going to uh, underscore this or underline this with the fact that in uh, Mark Weir's top five MMA fighters or stars of all time, you don't have George St. Pierre, you don't have uh, Habib, you don't have John Jones. So is that, that your yeah, final yeah, answer? But, <laughs> but they are outright, they're like, but you're talking about now, but the problem is I'm saying is like, uh, the reason why the pioneers, you can never forget the people. You wouldn't be where you are without the pioneers. There you, you go. Know? Yeah. Right. So the first person, that's why, I, you know, not, not, not because, yeah, I was linked with him. Chuck Liddell saved the face yeah. of MMA. He made it grow. And uh, you can't take that away. Conor McGregor did the same thing. But by chance, he got both weight divisions as well. Yeah. Two weight divisions. So 100% he needs to be there. Amanda Nunes did the same thing. But although... You know, Ronda Rousey, she only had one, but she set the standard for women again. So you yeah. can't take her out. Because yeah. she, she showed women that you can do well in MMA. So they're all really just, you can argue with me. Yeah, there's way more I'd want to put in there. And yeah. I can name them as you go along. But I'm just saying these guys, uh, these are the guys without, you know, for UFC. We look at the face of UFC, they'll definitely be there. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh... I want to double back uh, just in a second and get back to talking about yourself, obviously, and your early days. And I definitely want to cover your Taekwondo days as well. Uh, one wee question, just when you mentioned Conor McGregor there, what's your opinion on the crossover fights that's going on? Obviously, he fought Mayweather and you've got the, the sort of, and I don't actually follow them, if I'm being honest, but the Jake Paul and his brother are fighting mixed martial artists and, boxers fighting YouTube stars now and, and this sort of thing. What, what's your opinion on that? I mean, Conor McGregor certainly lasted with Mayweather. You never know how much Mayweather was invested in that, but what's your opinion? I think it was great because a matter of, uh, besides the tension, it grew a lot of media tension on the whole. There's a lot of people from boxing don't really cross over to, to martial arts or MMA. Yeah. And uh, from that, they got interested in it. I, I know quite a few people. So it opened up the eyes a bit. Yeah. And then there's like, uh, because of what he did, he lasted and everything else, they started, well, they wanted to see who this guy is. So then they started watching him after the fight, which is even better. Yeah. You know, even better than what that does, it draws people across like a magnet. So he helped the sport. Now, uh, I think you can keep doing it back and forth. Once it's done, it's set a standard, it's, 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 it's fine. But I don't think it's going to be as good as what their previous, yeah. you know, Mayweather's as good as you can get. Yeah. But um, doing it now, not I'm not that really interested now. Uh, boxers coming over to MMA, it's never really worked. No. no. <laughs> you know what I mean? The only way they can do it is by fighting MMA fighters with boxing, one-dimensional boxing only. Yeah. Which is basically giving them a chance. Yeah. But yeah. 
on the face of that, the, the crossover is okay. Uh, it interested me at first, the first time it's done, but beyond that, I, unless it's something, some major name uh, meeting, major MMA, major boxing meeting together, I don't think it ever really give me the same excitement as the first time when I heard Conor McGregor was going for Mayweather. That yeah. that was just, the matter of people were talking about. It, I, there's gra- old people at you know, <laughs> my daughter's school talking yeah. to me about MMA, and I was thinking. And then after that, they would follow him. Every time he's going to fight, he watched. Yeah. So it worked. It did well. And I think it's the best thing you could ever have done. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Right, Mark. Let's go back to uh, concentrating more on yourself and about your sort of personal journey. So tell us a wee bit about... Now, I know your main traditional martial art, which you were a couple of time world champion in, uh, was, was Taekwondo. And you were hugely successful in that. And not only that, you mentioned it yourself, during the 80s and early 90s was for competition, Taekwondo was the, the golden era. It really, really was. Uh, yourself, uh, Kim Stones, yeah, Tony uh, Soul, the Iceman, the, the list's endless. So how did you get into martial arts in the first place? And then let's have a wee conversation on... Yeah. Just, just how successful you were at Taekwondo. I think, I think my story sounds like a bit of a made-up myth, really. I don't really like talking too much about my um, my background, but all, I, I can remember when I was a kid. I was probably about uh, six or seven, and my uncle uh, in Jamaica was specially trained to retrieve runaway criminals and stuff. He's trained in the martial arts. Yeah. And I can remember him showing me stuff like on a beach and everything else, and fighting and uh, I'm like a doppelganger of him. I, I, we're identical. Okay. And um, when I got up, you know, I grew up thinking to myself, I wouldn't mind doing it. I've always had a love for it. And uh, I went into boxing and um, what happened, I went into it in, when I was 12. Me and my next door neighbor were sparring. I blooded up his nose. My mum banned me from it because of what I'd done. That's got explained to her, his, his parents. Then I went back into it again when I was about 16. And uh, uh, the guy came around my house, was saying, wow, the potential I had, the money I could be making. He was he took my dad in the room and they're talking about, he reckons I'm gifted. And then my mum came in and said, I would never ask you anything to do, but I don't want you to do boxing. So I went in a bit of a slump. I was a bit depressed. My sister, uh, we're 11 months apart, we're like twins. She said, there's a guy who trains in boxing for a sport of martial arts called Taekwondo. And it's literally around the corner. Try that. They just got a, an advert in the papers. So I said, that's right. I remember this guy, was, um, he was part of a team in uh, the second world championship called Neil Williams. Mm-hmm. So I went along there and I seen him there. And I remember him saying to me, real snarly, real funny, like, you're good at boxing, but you're no good at taekwondo. <laughs> so that sort of like even got maybe more motivated. I, I, I love challenges. And yeah. I remember, this my memory of starting martial arts is going to this gym, watching these people kick, looking, really telegraphic. They're stepping in and thinking, I can't be right. You know, I've watched all these Bruce Lee films. They're, they're quick. And he talks about fluidity and all this. And I went over to the instructor, this guy called Clive Harrison. And I said, yeah. I can kick better than that. And he sort of looked down at me, this little, you know, 17-year-old kid. He goes, by all means, mate, go ahead. <laughs> like that. And I thought, I think he didn't know what to say. He wanted to be polite. Because, I, you know, I wanted to start. Yeah. And he sort of left me. And I remember uh, after the first session, Running in and said, Can I spar with some of the senior grades, which is uh, Neil Williams? 
he said I couldn't be good at uh, taekwondo, but I can handle myself. Yeah. So I remember walking in front of him, and he threw his legs right over my by my head. I put my hands up to cover, and he did, gave me this hardest body blow, solar plexus. He dropped me. Yeah. I remember feeling like I was going to be sick for like a good couple of minutes, about five or ten minutes. Crawled, literally embarrassingly, on my knees, crawled over to this bench and sat there with my head down, thinking, oh, what has just happened? I was so embarrassed, and I thought to myself, that's never going to happen again. i got, I got to learn how to kick. And then uh, I went away, and I just hit it like I'd never hit anything before. I just know, I was, I was a gifted sportsman, athlete, and I thought to myself, I just got made look, look silly. And I remember training 24-7 after that, and then never looked back. Within about a few months, I was beating everybody. When, <laughs> when, you, mentioned, when you mentioned Clive Harrison there, uh, there's a wonderful video when you be, I think these were all on Sky Television. It was yourself, uh, Tony Soul, yeah. and these uh, were doing a sort of one-step, two-step sparring as the demonstration, uh, jumping kicks, uh, double kicks in the air. It's wonderful to watch. And the presenter is, uh, is interviewing Master Harrison and... He's describing all the different things he's doing. You've probably seen it. Well, you were obviously there, but the video yeah, is still yeah. is still available on on YouTube. Uh, but people should definitely check out for just what an example of the kicking prowess of two wonderful Taekwondo practitioners. But I remember Master Harrison saying uh, the lady had asked, "Why is why are you a certain grade and and." Uh, Tony Soul at the time was a couple of degrees higher. And I remember Master Harrison saying, well, it's because uh, it's because Mark is, is, is more focused on his competition career. Uh, was that something that you did? You, the, the, the grades weren't important to you? It was more about the competing side? Or what, what, what was that like? What was your thoughts on that? Well, what we used to have, we used to have these uh, team competitions. And uh, me and the guys from Gloucester always was like more or less in a, the semi-finals and stuff. And we're always coming against um, teams which are, uh, which were like black tags and red belts. And they're the only ones that could sort of like get a win. It was like a, this destroyed us. They literally just got a vault over us. Yeah. And uh, I always thought to myself, the grade doesn't matter. And uh, all the guys around me, they're all training with me. And there's another guy called Steve Pearson. They all looked at me as a leader. And I was like, set the drills kicking uh, challenges, uh, exercise challenges. And we're all like, you know, like they say, it's like all rising up together. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it was nice because one person gets better, the other one picks the other one up and so forth. And then by the time I got to Black Belt, uh, by then I knew, I, I knew I was beyond, uh, I was ready for Black Belt level because I did it in three years, which is the quickest time you can become a Black Belt. And yeah. the first competition I did, I had two team members and I beat them both. One in the first um, first fight, and uh, one in uh, the finals as well, which was in a team, and they they both sorry they both got kicked them out of the team <laughs> and put me in place. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't because I, I beat them, but it's how easily I, I did it. Yeah, they they said I deserved to be in there. And it was literally only a couple of months from the world championships as well. So that was like uh, I sort of like opened the doors for myself, which I I always tend to do. Believe it, like you make a statement and the rest happens for you. Yeah. Uh... I'm still under, uh, our, our Taekwondo school's still under Grandmaster Hiel Cho's leadership. And I think it was under yeah. Grandmaster Cho that you tested for black belt. Yeah, I, yeah. I got all my great, I got to two dance and uh, they're all under him, underneath him, which is uh, I'm proud of. I remember watching uh, 
the movie Best of the Best with him in it. And uh, yeah. this is where Taekwondo is in loads of movies, you know, like uh, No Treat, No Surrender. The, 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 the idea about the, the kicking and the, the ease and grace Taekwondo's got, was, I remember as evidence in a lot of movies back then. Yeah. What was your, uh, what was your World Championship experiences like? Because you were a, a multi-time uh, Taekwondo World Champion. It's hard, but it's very, very good. Um, I, I remember fighting my way to become in a team. And uh, I remember a team training. I remember a lot of people keep trying to test me, wondering if I should be there. I was only literally turned 20. And uh, I didn't look it because I was very tall. And it's like, when they were sparring me, I had no, no problems. But I had a few people who uh, were, were very polite with me. The, the best one, I got him, especially after the first four championships, was Tony Saul. He sort of put me under his wing and he made me excel, which allowed me to go into full contact eventually. But um, beyond that, uh, uh, Jackson White was never the nice one, um, yeah. maybe because we're all brothers. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or black. I know, he, he, Jackson White was very, very polite to him, uh, polite to me. Uh, I had a, another podcast with his son. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a few people. The best person in there, at, right, when he, which is a year after the Second World Championship, there's a guy called Michael Lambert. And uh, me and him, through the color belts, went right through the grades. And uh, it, was, it was that close. His mum brought me sandwiches, <laughs> brought me lunch. <laughs> and it was like, uh, which sadly she's passed. But uh, I remember uh, right through, even in my career of MMA, you know, she, every, once a year she'd always phone me. And uh, I you know that, that made me and Michael, our bond, really, really close. And uh, this only, only did, I probably realised, you probably know about this, in the second World Championship, so I won it again. And in the second day for the team, they put me in a B team, which a lot of people speculated, looked at that. And, uh, as, you know, a lot of people in my ear, that's a bit you know, racism and stuff like that, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is, which, which I, I got to believe it was. You know, there's no other reason. Yeah. You know, I was told going to Guernsey or Guernsey one time, uh, I was talking on, a, I'm going to say whose name it was, but someone came up to me, I was saying, you've got to understand, Mark, there's a game to be played. And when they, someone hears an England team, they want to see white faces. And they're saying that to me. I was looking and I was like, I was brought up by a real intelligent woman, my mum. Unbelievable. Businesswoman of the year. And she educated me on people's mindsets. Yeah. And she said that the, the time when you lose is when you allow them to break you. Mm-hmm. So no matter what they're, they're doing, all these things to allow me to feel like I'm less. Uh, I had to keep winning. And uh, I did. You know, every, no matter what I did, in life, they put me in the B team. The B team won the A team <laughs> in uh, the second world championship. He went on. I've never had a grudge. You know, I've got, you know, I'm married to an English woman. You know, I haven't got any side. I'm always telling my kids, you know, the lesser people, the smaller minds will always throw uh, racism at you. And it's yeah. because they feel inferior to you. And it is. I, because a lot of people were felt inferior to me and my success. They're the only ones that used to hit me and try and bring me down. And the ones that felt great and was good, like Mike, Michael Lambert and his mum, uh, they always were nice and helped carry me up. They were saying how well I could do. I remember Mike, he went over, this, he got into movies after that, and he was asking me to come over and join him. And, you know, th- these people, they help carry you and bring you up. But, you know, the ones that's against you, hate seeing your success, they bring you down. It's a shame. For sure. Uh, okay, I've only got one more question for you, Mark. I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and, and, and joining me today. Uh, I think probably if we just concentrate on your MMA career and okay. if, you can, if you can tell me what your, your sort of fondest memory or your proudest achievement was from your, your time fighting in mixed martial arts. 
That might be a well, that's not hard. Yeah. Well, that's not hard. That would definitely be the quickest knockout because uh, that that was amazing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's uh celebrities. Like uh, one of the things I like is like uh, uh, I remember after I remember fighting in Miami. I didn't win that one. It's my third one. And uh, going backstage, and Vin Diesel was back there saying, "Oh, guys, let's go out." But I was in the right good mood because I wanted to win. And I said to him, oh, "I give it a miss and stuff like that." And it's like. We look at the MMA now. All the celebrities just hang out with all the MMA. They, they are stars. Now celebrities. I remember doing that, telling people to meet people I'm meeting, and uh, that was to make me realise my efforts was valid. You know, I'm recognised as a sportsman. So I always believed martial arts was never recognised. I remember reading a book, and they put they put all the boxing, all these other sports at, at top for physical demand, and they put martial arts right down the bottom. And can you believe, because everybody knows now, MMA as a whole of martial arts is one of the hardest sports ever. You know, strength and conditioning came from this. Randy Couture did a short show on this. And that's what allowed strength and conditioning to grow what it is today because yeah. of MMA again. So, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, my, what do you say about my fondest memory, not to stray? It's definitely my quickest knockout. Uh, another one is meeting the people I did in the sport because I make sure I realize I was a celebrity in that sense, although I don't like it to get to my head because I had to keep going on. And my last one has to be the very last fight at 45 year, years old in Newcastle with my son in my corner, wow. winning that because Ian Freeman, who was there on the greatest day as well, he beat Frank Mir, he was there as a commentator. We all got into cage together. And, uh, you know, and after I finished that fight, I won a title uh, up north and I came home and I said, that's it. I'm 45. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't know what's happening internally. I'm a smart martial artist. I'm yeah. educated. I never took much damage. And, uh, you know, I, I left it on a good note. Wonderful. And, and that's a wonderful note to, to leave this today, Mark. Uh, listen, brother, I can't thank you enough. It's, it was such a, yeah, such a treat to have you on and, and cover the, the different wee bits that we did. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> Hope I didn't tarnish it with a little bit of the racism ploy uh, there, but it's, it all. was a, a important part. Yep, nothing. If it's something that's inside you that you want to talk about, you're not tarnishing anything. It's just speaking the truth. Yeah, yeah. Right? I appreciate that. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank Goodbye. you.